You're listening to the Functional Nerds Podcast with your hosts, Patrick Hester and Tracy Townsend. Welcome back, friends. Please make sure your pod seat and tray table are in their upright and locked position. The airlock has been sealed and docking clamps have been released for an on-time departure to the functional nerdverse. It is getting to be a trend now with episodes, especially it seems like the ones that I get to introduce, which I'm not complaining about, where I where I just start by like shrieking and squeeing with delight <laughs> at who our guests are. And sorry, not sorry, as far as that goes. Yeah, that works out when you're the one booking all the guests. It is possible that I stack the deck. It is entirely possible that I am selfishly serving and self-dealing <laughs> here. But I am from Chicago, and self-dealing is an ancient tradition amongst our people. Yes, and it only took you two years to figure that out. So, <laughs> I mean, I, I'm a very quick study. It's, uh, <laughs> it's like lightning over here. You're like, hey, I know what Wait I can do. Have to book just like any old randos. I can book one of my absolute favorite people in the known universe, Michelle Barry, who is one of my absolute favorite people in the known universe for a plethora of reasons, not least of which is that she's a functionally fabulous person and functional nerd. But the, she's also got her debut novel, Moon Garden, which just came out a couple of weeks ago. Michelle, how the hell are you? I'm great. I'm so happy to be here. It's so cool. I think I know I'm biased because you are also one of my absolute favorite people in the universe, but definitely going to be my favorite interview ever, I think. Um, And so cool to be able to kind of start the whole debut season with you. Um, I don't think anyone's read this book more than you. at least half a million times, I would say. Maybe, over the last, maybe Mora. Yeah. Maybe Mora's right there. I think it's a yeah. close tie. Yeah. Yes, the yeah. two of you. Yep. But it's been a long road and I'm so excited to be here. All right. So we, we need to contextualize things for people mm-hmm. about why we are each other's favorite people in the known universe and how we came to know each other. And I, I guess this, this may be actually really useful for people to know about because as we speak, Twitter is doing its best imitation of the Titanic (laughs) as it barrels towards a South African emerald billionaire shaped iceberg uh, Mm -hmm. that is Elon Musk. And then as it sinks, tweets about itself with a blue check mark that it just bought. So (laughs) given the the implosion of Twitter. I I would like that remark, except I think they're going to start charging five bucks a pop for likes. So. Oh, right. It's probably true. They're probably probably going to monetize that in some way. Sorry, Elon. But you know, what, one of the things that people have lamented about in the writing community is that for Twitter, it's it's a writing space in the sense of connecting with other writers for, for lots of folks and Twitter pitch contests and various other sorts of things. I think there's a lot of writers who have anxiety about what's going to happen with knowing other writers, meeting other writers, folks in the trenches where I am. And, and I guess we have a very old school story, but it actually mm-hmm. is still relevant because the site still exists and still does like stuff. So, Absolutely. all right, let's let's way back machine. Let's tell them the story. Sure. So I was querying or getting ready to query my, I believe, second book. You never saw the first one. We won't speak of it. It was the most horrendous <laughs> thing that ever. It was like a 150,000 middle grade novel. So that didn't exist. So <laughs> it was an ambitious. Project. Yes. Yes. So my first actual like legitimate book to be queried, I figured I needed a little help on the query letter because uh, I think the first one was also like 14 pages long when I was sending it out and I couldn't figure out why I wasn't getting requests. So figured I needed some help with the second one. So I posted my query letter on Agent Query Connect. 
So if you don't know, that's a site where you can kind of like a forum where people can critique your query letter and in exchange, you critique other people's query letters and you can get some really great feedback. So I posted my query letter and then I was going around offering feedback on other people's. And I noticed another user was critiquing the same queries that I was. And I thought the feedback was like fantastic. So I was like, I need this person to critique my query letter because the feedback's awesome. So I went, I think, I don't remember the handle that you were using at the time. At the time I was using the handle, the Storymatic, which actually got me (laughs) very close to some legal trouble later, but that's a whole other story. That's another, (laughs) to tell me that offline. (laughs) Right, yeah. Um, So I went to your query and read that and I in the hopes I would give feedback and then you would maybe reciprocal, you know, go look at mine. And I read your query letter. I will post my stuff. But people generally won't give you feedback on your query until you've gone around and kind of like checked out some other people and sort of mm-hmm. it's a you scratch mine, I scratch yours. And exactly. Pay your dues. And you learn to from, you know, looking at other people's query letters. So I went to your query letter and it was for the nine. And I read the query and I was like, I have to read this book. This book looks absolutely amazing. Um, so I gave my little feedback. And then I think a little while later, you critiqued mine as well, which obviously gave amazing feedback. And I don't remember who messaged who first, but we started, there's like a direct message. We broke message. the seal somehow because they do do private messaging there. And yes. we, we ended up forming a little group of folks um, and, and swapping manuscripts with them. And that yes. was our very first uh, kind of like evolution into having uh, a critique partner group. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. yeah. I think we were sharing contest info at the time and yeah. And up swapping manuscripts, like you said, and it was mm-hmm. kind of magic from there. It all kind of took off, and we started swapping like child, you know, children's stories and household <laughs> work stories, recipes, and, and, yeah, and like, yeah, recipes. it was. I still need your crockpot mac and cheese. It's a favorite in that Berry House. <laughs> it was like being writers meets quilting circle kind of thing. <laughs> exactly, you know, really was, was going on. But you know, Patrick, you've talked about um, you know your experience with different critique groups and and like workshop groups and things like that, and this is. I think very much that vibe, except it was all just brokered online and I was in Chicago and you were in Connecticut and everybody else was in fuck all and we were just sort of all over the place. It's funny how that works out for, for there's a lot of people who do the online stuff because they don't have anybody local. Mm-hmm. And and if it works for you, it works for you. You know, uh, the that format of, of forums is still popular with a lot of people. Yeah, And there's lots of forums out there. Uh, hell, we could do a forum if we wanted to, and if Tracy volunteered to admin it the whole time. Yeah, that would. I mean, that's, that's a good <laughs> one. Uh, <laughs> so fast forwarding now, uh, gosh, it's been almost like ten years yes. uh, at this point. So fast forwarding now, we are at your debut, Moon Garden, which was not the book I met you through, but is one of one of many of your projects that I've come to know intimately with you in your back and forth all this time. So it's a middle grade retelling of The Secret Garden that ultimately evolves to be so much more because it's the beginning of a trilogy that's coming out from Pixel and Ink. Yes. Um, So, okay, get people into Moon Garden. What's the the story? Sure. So uh, Moon Garden, like you said, is a retelling of The Secret Garden. It's set at a boarding school on the moon um, with magic sprinkled in. um, And it's about um, how the Earth... Uh, became uninhabitable because the plants uh, became toxic because of all the pollution that, you know, humans were kind of spewing into the atmosphere. It started sending it back to us. So we had to evacuate and form settlements off world. And um, as a result of that, there were no more gardens and no more plants. And 
uh, plants became kind of this forbidden thing because people blamed the plants for having to evacuate um, the earth. And so my main character, Myra, uh, ultimately stumbles upon a garden um, on the moon and, you know, a forbidden magic that also kind of goes along with it. So, I mean, one of the things I remember vividly as we you and, and and our other critique partners and I were all sort of like looking at Moon Garden together and like thinking about it and kind of always talking about it with each other was one of the areas where I think I came close to breaking my friendship with you was <laughs> I, I, I became a self-appointed auditor of life at boarding schools mm-hmm. because yeah, of true. working at a boarding school for that. myself. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I think there were probably like at least a half a dozen dozen situations where you're like, God damn it, because I've been like, <laughs> like wait, wait a minute, in a boarding happen. school, yeah. it would it would play like this or like, have you thought about that or or whatever else? So I guess yes. as someone who, you know, America doesn't generally do boarding schools. It's mm-hmm. that's a, that's a, like an outlier case for us. Like what for you was the attraction of the boarding school as an environment? Like why why use that as Myra's setting? So I love the dynamic boarding school stories kind of set up. Um, you're kind of, you know, you're a kid still, you're not an adult, you know, off on your own. You're still a kid. You still have rules, but you're kind of smushed together with all of these other kids and just kind of the chaos that kind of unfolds from that, but also the friendships and the alliances and the kind of the found families that can form. Um, Myra's really in need of that. Um, at her, you know, in her journey, she has two very accomplished, um, kind of overbearing parents that have really high expectations for her that don't align ultimately with where she wants to go with her life. Um, So she kind of has to come to terms with that. And she learns she needs people still to kind of support her through this. So she forms, you know, relationships with a teacher and um, some friends that she didn't think she would expect to have. So I just loved exploring all of that and how you can kind of form your own families when you're away from your own or when your own don't really accept you as you are. It kind of gives you that opportunity to kind of choose your own family. Yeah. Yeah. I did, think did it, you did you did you have the boarding school stuff before you found out that Tracy taught at Xavier School for Gifted Children? I, I did, but she was a fantastic resource. <laughs> she gave me a lot of good tips. Um I think even the kids call themselves slammers. Um they kind of have this little nickname for their for themselves. I think that nice. was a Tracy's suggestion too. It gave them kind of a, a you know, an in crowd kind of thing to refer to themselves. Nice. Yeah, yeah. They they um boarding school lingo is its whole other language where they you can really walk into a room and there are people speaking entire sentences that mean nothing to other folks from outside that environment (laughs) but are completely legible to the folks who are having that conversation Mm -hmm. right there and it definitely evolves too because Myra's mother also went to the same school that Myra did um in her time and she comes and visits Myra at one point and she starts using these terms that were uh common when she was a kid and very embarrassing to her daughter so it kind of sets up that dynamic too that the terms evolve and they become very less cool as you know the generations come and go yeah oh for sure definitely there's um I've I've been caught red-handed a couple of times by my students mm-hmm. using a term that we used to use to refer to something at IMSA like 15 years ago <laughs> yep like that's not what we do no it's vintage no, Tracy, <laughs> Tracy that is so whack it is so it is so whack mm-hmm. it is just crazy whack funky <laughs> <laughs> so okay we, we talked about like me offering my overbearing expertise on boarding schools here. I have a confession to make to you, mm-hmm. Michelle, which oh. I believe is a confession that I have never at any point made in the course of my acquaintance with you or with Moon Garden. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Big news. 
I've never read The Secret Garden and I don't know anything about it. <gasps> oh no, my heart. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so I mean, I've been faking it like a lot for, okay. for literal years now. So like, you did a great job. I never would have known. <laughs> <laughs> so you didn't Trust get my me. Binro reference then. <laughs> there you go. No, no, I have no idea why that's a reference actually. <laughs> oh, it's an anagram for the Robin. Oh. <laughs> uh, Mm-hmm. <laughs> One day you'll have to read it and see if you can. No, you'll so. see Easter yeah. eggs for Moon Garden in the Secret Garden. I'll just. Like, I did travel. get a copy of it on my Kindle, so okay. <laughs> um, that's. I promise someday Eventually. before I die. I'm going to read that actually, but so, <laughs> I'm but curious. Your I don't actually know yeah. what I've been pretending to talk about. You have to let me know when should you all be curious how you know it yeah. aligns with Moon Garden in your opinion. Because I don't actually. I, I kind of want to understand like why. Why the secret garden? I mean, yes, garden. Like it yeah. works. It works with you know the dynamic that you want to set up with your world building here. But like, why this book in particular, which of various classics that have been revisited and retold, I think has generally been ignored. Mm-hmm. Um, it's always been one of my favorites, like a childhood favorite, and you know even into adulthood. But I just loved the kind of enchanting feeling that it kind of evokes. Like I can't walk past like like a kind of an overgrown garden without being reminded of the secret garden and kind of the magic, like not actual magic in the secret garden, but the magic it held and the kind of transformative power that nature had on the main character, Mary, in that book. So I really wanted to kind of put my own spin on that and add maybe some actual magic to the magic and follow kind of um, a similar journey that Mary had in the secret garden with Myra and kind of Mm -hmm. that self-discovery and figuring out her place and figuring out that she does need people in her life to rely on and support her. And I just loved the journey of it. And I just loved the whole kind of magic of nature piece of it too. Yeah. Yeah. That you're you're probably the biggest Star Wars fan that I know amongst my various writer friends. Mm -hmm. And in a lot of ways, the the kind of fusion of technology and magic that we see in Moon Garden, while it's not what what the characters can do in the world of Moon Garden is not the Force. Mm-hmm. There is definitely a sense that you're writing science fantasy that kind of like riffs in some ways off of that kind of fused vision of futurism meets the the sort of archaic world of magic and all of that. And so I guess why... What's the appeal for you in kind of bucking trends and saying, no, I don't have to have pure science fiction. I can do science fantasy like that. I'm not afraid of being difficult to categorize. <laughs> uh, I hope my publishers feel that way too, because I know it is a, a line there. <laughs> right. um, I just love the fusion of the two, like technology, which I lucky that with middle grade, you don't have to make it like perfectly aligned with real science. It just kind of has to be plausible. I think I took a lot of liberties with that. So being able to kind of fuse that literally with magic, um, I just think it kind of opens up a lot of doors from different areas to explore um, different um, powers to kind of play with, you know, combining it with technology and, you know, just kind of putting it in outer space with like robot sidekicks was like the kind of the perfect mashup for me personally. <laughs> it's hard to beat a good robot sidekick. Yes. Um, yeah. And you've, I mean, certainly I mean, Binro, who I didn't get all this time after all this time is in fact an anagram. Of um, <laughs> yes. But- no spoiler. Yeah. <laughs> when you read the secret garden at all, it'll make sense. <laughs> Yeah, there's a real sense that there's, there's some there's some like shared engineering structure there, so to speak, with with like our um, you know with with R two D two or um, BB eight or mm-hmm. other sorts of like figures like that. Do you if you could if you could make yourself like like a little robot sidekick thing? Yes. 
Would you do it? Oh, absolutely. What would it look like? Oh, describe uh, a robot sidekick. Uh, <laughs> cross robot sidekicks. I mean, Finro is kind of like my ideal. He's more of like a shoebox shaped ro- like droid robot. Right, but yeah. yeah, he's definitely got his personality. Um, he makes his opinions known. Um, he's got you know some gadgets that he uses and sound effects that he use you know can go to to um, kind of heckle his his um, his friends there. But yeah, it'll probably be Benro, like a little like sassy robot sidekick. <laughs> It's almost better that he's like a like a funky little mouse droid shoebox sort of thing that yes. he sort of like looks kind of jank. It's kind of Ex- that's one of that's one of the most charming parts. Absolutely, yeah. Like I think of the like uh, Tatooine scene where you know R two D two and C three PO get kind of stolen by the Jawas and they're in the I don't remember what it's called the carrier with all the different yeah, kind of robots. Yeah. Um, I've seen a lot of behind the scenes Star Wars stuff and how they made them and a lot of it was like trash cans and just like stuff that they had around. So <laughs> that kind of was playing in my head when I was envisioning uh, Ben Row too. I think it has kind of a charm to it when it's you know not this super sleek um, r- fancy robot. He's kind of a yeah, low key guy. Yeah. Patrick, you your robot sidekick. What's it going to look like? Oh, I don't know. It's funny that you ask because it wasn't too long ago that uh, I was looking at remote-controlled R2-D2s and BB-8s online. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that you can control with your phone. Right, yeah. So My, my dad got uh, one know. of those uh, BB-8 one like ages ago. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I will also throw out that uh, uh, what's, the guy, what's the guy from Mythbusters? Adam Savage? Savage? Yeah, he's yeah. got his YouTube channel, and he recently mm-hmm. they sent him the uh, the Optimus Prime that actually uh, transforms itself. Oh wow! And has has programmable transformations that you can do with it. So you can actually you can if you go through the engineering and you go through the app, you can you can program Optimus to do stuff. So people oh, have programmed God. him to do like jumping jacks and and uh, uh, push ups, dance moves. All kinds of stuff, but it's all it's all remote controlled. Uh, I I would want something like that, something that doesn't look necessarily human. Okay, you yeah. know what I mean? Because yeah. I think I think that that horror movies have taught us that once you go down that path, things get bad. Oh, and okay. things get yeah. weird, and things get creepy. Mm-hmm. So I would want something that is not necessarily. Uh, animal-like not necessarily human-like uh, you know i do like the idea of the box shape or the round shape or something like that uh that could that could be a a decent companion and, and work well and go up and down stairs i guess we'll, we'll just go with a dalek we'll just go with a dalek let's get a dalek right okay. those are cute less right? murdery le- yeah. less murdery or, or conveniently pot. murdery for your purposes <laughs> who knows who knows yeah, yeah. Maybe you just Anything's behave possible. yourself around your Dalek. Maybe that's yeah. that's what it is. Yeah, I've been thinking recently. Um, we've talked a billion times about how I'm bad at TV, um, but as bad as I am at TV, I'm fairly good at at movies that are not current. Um, and I was thinking a lot about. <laughs> do you remember the movie Batteries Not Included? Yep. Oh my god, it's so adorable. Uh, basic premise behind it is like tiny alien sort of forces end up animating stuff in a sort of like a fix-it shop. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's all like household items, like, you know, a toaster or, you know, a a clock radio or various other things that kind of like have achieved semi-sentience and and a little bit of autonomy and whatnot. And they're adorable and I love them so much. (laughs) I I would want a batteries not included sort of thing where it would look 
very much like a perfectly ordinary insert household device here. Let's face it. It would probably be like, I, I would have like a fucking crock pot, wouldn't I? <laughs> I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> you're, you're, yeah. I would have a tiny crock pot companion. That would come to life. Would, yeah. And it's like cord would be like a tail or something that it would lash around to show. You'd accidentally face. start pouring things in it and it would start screaming. No, no, I'm oh, drowning. I'm drowning. I think I would prefer that it would just do like beep up boops in a, in a kind of RGD2 way. And it would just like, you know, like puke up all of the chili that I just put in it. I think that'd be a great middle grader picture book novel. <laughs> Probably. Yeah, actually. It's a good um, premise, actually. Not not the whole the brave little toaster thing, which is actually just deeply traumatic. <laughs> and really distressing. So, so, okay. I have some questions which don't have anything to do with your book. Okay. They are questions that are intended purely to be fun and uh, but and also to help folks get to know you. So if they're listening to this, they can say, wow, Michelle Berry sounds like such a cool, nice person. And I want to buy her book to give to the child in my life. Sounds like um, a great plan. <laughs> yes, that is it. That's You can just kind of keep playing that on loop in people's heads and so they'll, they'll follow the orders. Um, so, all right, here we go. From now on, you only get to write either early in the morning or late at night. Which would you choose? So this might surprise you because I know, as you've known me for a very long time, I was always like a 4 a.m., 5 a.m. writer's mm -hmm. club yep. type, mm -hmm. type of writer. But I don't know why ever since COVID, like, I don't know if just the schedule getting flipped upside down or the kids getting older, but I only write at night now. So I would have to yeah. choose at night because my mornings now, like, I don't think I can start them early enough to, <laughs> I'd be like middle of the night writing. So. Right. Yeah. At that point you're like, oh, three in the morning, not really. Now. <laughs> yeah. There. Yeah. But I have to, that'd be interesting. I don't know how that the content would be very good <laughs> at three. <laughs> so yeah. It's been a nighttime kind of drafting for a while now for the last couple of years. So yeah, I'd have to stick with night. Got it. All right. So, um, slightly different move here. Okay. Um, but related. So from now on, uh, when when writing, you only get to snack on either sweet things or salty things. Which you gonna do? Hmm. So my family would probably say a hundred percent sweet things. I am like the resident like sneak a cupcake on a Tuesday kind of person. But sure, yeah, yes. But the sugar rush might not be great. Like I would maybe like mm -hmm. write you know some crazy scenes in there. So uh, salty things if I had to choose. That's probably the safer bet. Go yeah. go with a go with a dots pretzel. Oh, so, that's a good idea. A <clears throat> those are really good. I, I will throw it out, Tracy, that uh, the Irish people that do the Tri Channel just tried celebrity snacks, and okay. one of them was from Tiffany Haddish, and they were uh, Jolly Rancher stuffed pickles. Ooh, that's quite. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the faces! Oh, the faces that I just got oh, from. We are not a video <laughs> podcast, and that is good because I think I might. I might need to mute because I'm gonna hurl. I mean, I and one, of the, one, of the, one of the one of the major questions that each team had was, "How do you even do this? Like, how is what's how do you do this the first time? Like, what is the story behind this?" I have to imagine that someone was very drunk or very stoned or both <laughs> when this idea came to them. It's definitely right? a both situation. Yikes. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I know chocolate and bacon. There were some weird things happening with the sweets world that worked in the odd way, but that one yeah. might be pushing it too far. <laughs> I mean, there's definitely, there's a, there's a school of thought when it comes to chocolate or bacon that mm -hmm. you can do anything to either one and it's a net good. Mm -hmm. Like you can – I mean – 
I'm kind of with you there, uh, Michelle, although I, I think I would probably go with salty snacks just because I might get myself in less trouble. But you could put chocolate on a, on a shoe that you found by the side <laughs> of the road and I'd be like, okay. Yeah. But would you wonder first, is that really chocolate? I mean, if it was given to me by a person I otherwise believe to be trustworthy, okay, yeah, you set that up as a shoe you found on the side of the road. Oh, it could be, yeah, yeah. I mean, chocolate can I look mean, like a lot of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was the chocolate yeah. also found on the side of the road, or you already have the chocolate? <laughs> I need oh, more details. Yeah, new wrinkle. Like if the chocolate, if the chocolate was obtained from a from a location I would otherwise deem to be safe and reasonable, then sure. You know, and, chew chocolate, and, doable. And now that we've talked Michelle out of ever coming back to the show, <laughs> um, what what what's your third thing? <laughs> Did you have a third question? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got, I've, right. I've got, I've got a load of these. Okay, so we, your story is set in space. Mm-hmm. Give me the reason why you either absolutely should or absolutely should not be on the away team making first contact with an alien species. Hmm. I think you maybe should not because then, um, depending on how that goes, you can kind of sit back and observe and. Okay. All see, right. Michelle yep. wants, to, wants to check Unless out. Unless you want to maybe negotiate for like, you know, yeah. spare me. and <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. That's a Makes tough sense. one. Makes yeah. sense. You, you want to see if they get eaten first. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. See what you're getting you into. Go in first, guys. I'll be right behind you. Moral yes. support. Go exactly. do the thing. Yeah. Unless they kind of throw you under the boss, that first person, then that might not be good. Like spare me and eat that other guy. So we're going to reel back into, into Moon Garden here for a sec. You got to take a road trip with a character from, from your book. Mm-hmm. Uh, who's riding shotgun? Oh, Lila, 100%. She's okay. super all responsible, right. super kind. Like she would make all the good choices. Um, Myra, I think, would probably, depending on her mood, it could be a fun ride or not a fun ride. And Cantor would just want to do like wheelies and be crazy. So <laughs> Lila would be the responsible choice. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I can see that. Mm-hmm. Can handle that. Absolutely. Okay, so final question. This one is, you know, friendly to the, to the fact that we're writing a, a science fantasy here. When you finally manifest your latent magical abilities, or you know, in the case of the the language of the Moon Garden universe, your career, mm-hmm. uh, when you finally manifest your career, will it be because of a a demonic pact, <laughs> b careful study? C, you completing a badass training montage, or D, you picking up an artifact that was actually meant for someone else? Hmm. I kind of like the badass training montage option, so <laughs> that would probably be the best choice. But um, with the, You could feel just, good about yourself at the end of it. Yes, yeah. exactly. So yeah. full disclosure, a lot of people think, like, so the careers are all, as you know, um, based on STEM fields. Um, and people have asked me, like, oh, did you choose STEM fields, you know, science, math, whatnot, because those are areas you already excel in? And the answer is, like, a hard no there. Like, they're, <laughs> like I chose them because, like, when I see, like, science experiments or hear someone explain, like, complicated math to me, it just sounds like absolute magic and hocus pocus, and I don't get it at all. So that's kind of what fueled that. So um, doing the training or trying to learn it myself probably wouldn't work out in any magic developing for me. So I would definitely need either, you know, the badass training montage or some demonic, pa- d- demonic pact or some of some sort. Yeah, I think in my heart, I would want it for myself to be the badass training montage, but it would mm-hmm. probably happen because I picked up the wrong thing that belonged to somebody else. <laughs> yes, that, that's yeah more likely. No, you, you, Patrick. 
you talked about uh, critique groups earlier, and there was nothing that I wrote that was more, more polarizing with my critique group at the time than when I did like all these chapters of this character getting to someone who was going to train them in the ways of magic. And, and I'm sitting there looking at word count going, oh, shit. This is this is getting stupid long. And so I cut to six months later and I put six months later. And you want to talk about people losing their shit. Oh, I want the training <laughs> montage. We need the training montage. Where's the training montage? Come on, you gotta give it to like that. That was the thing that that polarized them and got them all on the same page, which was interesting. Why do we like people like their training? I don't know. So much. That's actually I, I blame Sylvester Stallone. Okay. I blame right. Rocky. Yeah, the, the whole egg drinking, getting running, yep. running harder, striving higher thing. Yep. I, I think. I mean, I imagine it's projection, right? That like as we see this character go through difficulty and self improvement and go from wherever they were to like wherever they need to be, that there's some like like yeah, yeah, I could do that. I mean, I'm not going to handful of chips, but I could totally do that. Right? Like that's. I think that's a big part of it. Maybe it's just me. Maybe. 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 All right. <laughs> so let's give ourselves a chance to uh, to clear the mechanism a little bit, maybe with picks of the week. Picks of the week. Picks of the week. So Patrick, do you want to show Michelle how it's done? Sure. So I'm I'm picking something that I had been waiting for and didn't realize it had already dropped on Netflix, which uh, I just randomly found it and I went, oh crap, it has already dropped. I, I was like waiting for it. Uh, but it's season four of The Dragon Prince. Cool. And I believe this is written for, by the same people who created Avatar, The Last Airbender. Yeah, uh, I don't know uh, which person's in the production. Yeah, so it's got the same kind of vibes and they're even doing the books. Like, so this is, this is book four, Earth, I think is what they're calling it. Mm-hmm. And... The, the thing that – so it's like they concluded one story and now they're doing the next chapter, like the next – so the first three seasons was w- almost like one story that concluded and now they're moving on from there. And I've been waiting for it for a while. I like it. It's a different animation style, but I like the storytelling. I like the characters. It's very uh, – it borrows a lot from the original Avatar and, and even Korra, which were okay. two shows that I, that I really liked. And uh, even to the point where <laughs> there's uh, one of the one of the characters the he's a brother to one of the evil characters, but he's good and he's mm-hmm. like working for the king's guard and he's trying to one of the things is like he wants he wants her to give up evil and and, and become good, but he ends up befriending this little Drake dragon that actually lets him ride it and lets him fly. And uh, he's trying to chase his sister and he jumps up on the dragon's back. He's like, come on, let's go. And the dragon's like sniffing something on the ground and like really into it. He's like, come on, come on. We got to go. We got to catch her. And the dragon's just like doing stuff. And he looks at him and goes, yep, yep. And the dragon takes off. (laughs) And that cracked me up. That was so good. But yeah, uh, so Dragon Prince, they're, you know, they've got a new mystery. It's the mystery of Erebus, I want to say is the name of the season. Nine episodes. Uh, even Tracy could watch it if she was so inclined. If I was, but uh, it's good. I like it. It's 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 perfect for the the same kind of audience. I think that would be 
uh, checking out Michelle's book uh, or me. So there you go. Yeah, that's a good that's a good diagram right there. Yeah. So Michelle, what's your pick? Uh, so I'm going to go down the kind of TV rabbit hole too. Sorry, Tracy. <laughs> um, but I'm also, I can sympathize. I'm way behind on like my mainstream shows. I haven't watched House of the Dragon yet. I'll get there at some point. But I've been on like a huge PBS kick lately. Um, we're a big PBS household. The kids watch a lot of PBS cartoons. And I kind of have gone down like a Nova, History Detectives, um, Nature, all those kind of shows, rabbit hole every night. Um, so um, like I said, science has never been like a area I've excelled in, but I still love it and I'm fascinated by it. So watching all kind of the Nova documentaries on, they have a whole series on the different planets, which I've been using kind of to get myself psyched up for book two, um, so far untitled book two in the Plotting of the Stars series, because the kids are going to explore a little bit more of the solar system. So I've been kind of watching those Nova uh, documentaries and you know, picking up little tidbits I can work into the books, hopefully, but it's been, you know, a lot of fun to kind of go down those rabbit holes and watch those. Awesome. That's cool. So I too am doing an entertainment of the screen nature. Wow. We got a hat. <laughs> um, and so we're, we're hold, actually hold on, hold on, hold on. Right, you gotta, right. you gotta, you gotta give Robert a chance to catch his breath. Cause he just heard that. And okay. hopefully he's pulled over to the side of the road now and he's, no, don't crash, he's calmed Robert. down. Don't crash. Yeah, he's calmed down. We need you. We need you. Um, so, <laughs> um, so we're recording this the weekend uh, that we got the news uh, that Kevin Conroy passed away, um, which for I think all of us was very much a surprise. We didn't we didn't know to see that coming in any way. Uh, they kept it Kevin, secret that he was sick. Right. Yeah. Uh, and so Kevin Conroy, um, for those who who aren't familiar with the name drop there. Um, he started off his career as an actor uh, doing doing stage acting and on the screen uh, with um, soap operas. I think it was One Life to Live, if I remember correctly. Um, but in any case, he, he had started in that realm and then really kind of had his breakout success for which he continued to be known for the remainder of his career with Batman, the animated series in the early 90s, where he was the voice of Batman and Bruce Wayne. Um, and so very much a part of my childhood, because when those uh, sh when that show uh, was coming out regularly, I was in middle school. Um, I was very much in that kind of I was there. I was very much their target audience. And it was not a complete um, week for me if I didn't see the new Batman the animated series. And I remember vividly seeing Batman Mask of the Phantasm in theaters uh, when it came out as a theatrical release in 1993. Uh, and so with the news of Conroy's passing, uh, Deirdre, who is probably about as into Batman, the animated series now at 11 years old in the year of our Lord, 2022, as I was 30 years ago. Um, she doesn't know Kevin Conroy has passed. I didn't want to break it to her, uh, but I came home from work the other day and I'm like, we need to watch a Batman thing and she's like yeah i'm like what batman thing should we watch she's like let's watch a batman the animated series thing and i'm like well let's let's watch mask of the phantasm uh and we did and it's amazing to me how 30 years on it's it honestly has held up um it's a wonderfully tight piece of storytelling it's just an hour and 16 minutes um it is adult, on the adult end of what you can kind of do with at least animation for that time without getting um, over the top or salacious or self-indulgent. 
Um, it really kind of hits all the right marks. Mark Hamill, of course, uh, reprising the Joker is always a delight. Um, really interesting things going on with the use of set and setting uh, throughout Gotham. And it holds up really just remarkably well. So I had a wonderful time kind of reliving my relationship with Kevin Conroy through Mask of the Phantasm. So if you're interested interested in the Wayback Machine there, I believe that it's streaming on HBO. Uh, You can get it through Amazon Prime. um, And it may be on other platforms as well. I, I'll just throw it out there that I, I, I always thought it was wonderful that, you know, he did the character for the animated series. Mm-hmm. He did it for Superman yeah. when they had their crossovers. He did it uh, in Justice League and in Justice League Unlimited. And then beyond Justice League Unlimited, they would bring him back to do various movies and different things every once in a while. And then it, I, I feel like Video it kind games. of yeah, as well. it, it culminated in the CW's crisis event where they did Crisis on Infinite Earths because they actually had him play Bruce Wayne live action on Batwoman. And, you know, he's, he's the older Bruce Wayne who his body is, is broken and he's basically in this exosuit that that's the only thing that keeps him kind of mobile. And, but I just, I thought that that was, that was a nice little tribute for him uh, a couple of years ago, you know, that they, they actually brought him into live action and and had him do that. So that was very sad, very sad that he passed. Yeah. yeah. And I think, you know, we, we talk a lot um, when we, we do our show about kind of the larger nerd culture and the larger geek mm-hmm. culture and some of the yep. things about it that make it great and some of the things about it that make it sometimes really damaging and toxic. And I think one of the, one of the things that is important to me about Kevin Conroy um, is the fact that he was an out gay man in Hollywood at a time when being out um, was even more challenging than it is now. Um, But interestingly, that was something that I never remember uh, 30 years ago or now being a matter of concern for the fandom. Uh, There's no one in the fandom I ever remember hearing talk about how, um, you know, they, they had a problem with, with, Batman being played by a queer man. But um, but hold on cuz I think yeah. I think I read something where it was it was playing the role of Bruce Wayne and and Batman as this kind of closeted character. Yeah. that allowed him to come out in the first place. I don't think he was originally out when he first started. I could be misremembering that, but I thought there was something where he talked about how uh playing the character helped him come out of the closet. I remember reading a, an essay by him where he talked about how he was asked if he could understand what it would mean uh, for the character to be in that situation and how he felt that he could because of that. Okay. I, don't, I don't remember if it specifically said that he was then motivated to be out at that point or if it's just that in the context of the interview he was doing and the reading for the part that he was doing, if it was just not already known by the people who were asking him that question. Um, but, reg- but at whatever point that did become a known thing, it's it's interesting to me that we can be 30 years later and now we as a um, – and I use we advisedly as a larger community are kind sure. of like wringing our hands and beating our chests about whether or not uh, this person of color or whether or not this woman or whether or not this queer person has has a place in a given role in a given property. Um, but somehow 30 years ago, we were like, no, you, you're the man, you're the guy. Yeah. Like this. He, is, he was the knight. 
you were the person to do this for us. And um, I, I wish I could say that, um, that we've moved forward in a straight line, that like we've kind of kept going on that trajectory. But I think in a lot of ways, we, we are renegotiating some, <laughs> some ground that yeah. we used to have covered. Yeah. Oh, that got dark. Sorry. <laughs> I didn't mean to ruin everything there. Oh, all right. Well, it has been a total ball having you on, Michelle. And I would look forward to the second book in the Plotting the Stars trilogy coming out because we'll have to do it again. Uh, so in the meantime, if people are getting hype about uh, making sure that the middle grade kid in their life has something brand new in their hands under the Christmas tree for Hanukkah, for Kwanzaa, for any damn reason at all, where can Best people find Moon Garden? And yes, for the rest of us, um, where can people find Moon Garden and you? Um, so I, my, my website is michelleberrybooks.com. Um, Moon Garden's available uh, wherever books are sold, but uh, my local indie Riverbend bookshop um, is uh, running a promotion where you get some cool like book swag with it and they ship all over. So even if you're not local, um, you can still uh, access it through them as well. Um, I've been so happy to be here. This was so much fun and I'd love to come back for the second book and, uh, just full disclosure, uh, you might have it in your inbox sooner than later, Tracy. Uh, yeah, since I'm working on it right now. Sorry, not sorry. <laughs> you might get to read it sooner, sooner than that, but <laughs> I'm there for it. Yeah. Sounds great. Thank you so much for having me. It's been so great. Holy crap. This year is just flying by, isn't it? Sheesh. As always, thank you for listening. Special shout out to our backers over on Patreon for putting up with all the shenanigans Tracy, totally Tracy, does over on our super secret private Facebook group. I mean, <laughs> she is just constantly posting stuff over there like, you know, articles, uh, movie and TV show trailers, even like daily music videos at this point. I mean, yeah, that's that's totally all Tracy. So, <clears throat> thanks for uh, thanks for backing us. If you want to know what the hell I'm talking about, go check out Patreon.com/functionalnerds and throw us a couple bucks. Then you will gain access to our super secret private Facebook group. Now, I will say, you and I have to be friends on Facebook in order for me to invite you. It's a Facebook thing. It's weird. So there is a process. But still, uh, it would be really cool if you backed us and then, you know, joined us over there. Anyway, Robert and Todd, they totally promised us they would do this spinning sign thing on their street corners to drum up some listeners and to date they haven't actually followed through so if you could go give us some stars on your favorite podcast platform whether it be apple podcasts spotify google stitcher wherever you're going to to find us and listen that would be awesome we'll we'll work on the spinning sign thing with robert and todd as maybe sort of a holiday push I can see them now, dressed as elves. And not the cool ones from Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power. Canelli Joe said he might, might consider some sort of social media campaign around the poodles for, you know, the upcoming Hugo season. 
cough. Before I forget, Beyond the Trope hit 400 episodes recently. That's pretty cool. Giles and Michelle were very, very properly excited about this. 400 is a huge milestone for a podcast. To celebrate, why not go check them out at beyondthetrope.com. They put out a new episode every Tuesday talking with writers, artists, and creatives from all over the place. And that 400th episode was pretty cool. So again, check them out over at beyondthetrope.com. Now, I'm sure that this is the point where I would normally have some more uh, stuff to kind of say, things to tease our backers with, but I totally forgot to write it, so... Mr. Carpiers, you got it right. How about that? Yeah. You can call me Cannoli Joe. If you've if you've never listened to the podcast, there there's there's two different styles here. There's there's Tracy who does prep work and comes up with some very thoughtful questions, and then oh squirrel. Oh, for God's sake, Patrick Louise. <laughs> Are you okay with me recording you today for the purposes of this podcast? <laughs> okay, that's probably a good enough signal. <laughs> when someone comes up to me and says, "Hey, I really love what you do," I'm like. I'm sorry, do you know who I, like, I think you have me confused with someone else. The whiz bang and the gosh wow and the sense of wonder stuff. My favorite thing about time travel is I actually had a time travel joke for you guys, but you didn't like it. I'm so excited.